Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Tonight, I want to preach a sermon that I would call the great divide. We have seen divisions across the world, racial divisions, People are divided by tribe. People are divided by statuses in society. People are divided by education. People are divided through institutions. People are divided through language. People are divided through color. There are many sorts of divisions. But even most painfully, that we have division in the body of Christ. And this is what I believe, that what the scriptures explain for us as a reason of that division, these scriptures give us that great divide. And it's out of that, it's through that, that the whole world is actually divided. This is what I believe. The world does not have an answer on racism like the church does. The world has no answer to unite people like the church does. No institution in the world has the power to make men one like the church. Marriages cannot stand without the word. Every manner of unity or unification that you will see in human existence begins with the church. When it breaks from the church, what is the world to do? You see what I'm saying? So it begins with us as believers. But as I'm going to show you through scripture, I'm going to show you that it begins with the message, with the revelation, the law, and the grace. At least I'm a student of church history. In Christian history, there has not been such a great divide as the divide between the teachers of the law and the teachers of grace. Those that teach righteousness through works and those that teach righteousness imputed through faith. Those that teach a holiness of works and those that teach a holiness of the new birth. It's very important for us to know. It's the beginning of that, and I'm going to show you through scripture, that brings the great divide that we see in the world today. I'm going to take you through a journey of understanding where this comes from, and I believe that tonight a lot is going to break spiritually. A lot is going to break spiritually. In our lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our ministries, our Lord is going to break in Jesus' name. In Genesis, the third chapter, if you recall, man had fallen, that eaten the forbidden fruit, and God is pronouncing the consequences of their fall. In the 15th verse, the Bible says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's telling the serpent that I will put enmity between thee and the woman, 
and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, that is the seed of the woman, and thou shalt bruise his heel, that is the seed of the serpent. So, for readers of the Bible, you already recognize that this portion of scripture tells us that the woman shall have seed, and definitely the seed of the woman shall be a he. That's why the Bible tells us, it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Okay? But most importantly as well, we see that in Luke chapter 8 verses 11, the mystery is demystified, that the parable is that the seed is the word of God. The parable is that the seed is the word of God. So every time God talks about seed predominantly, he is referring to the word, to a specific message. Don't forget that as I'm preaching. Keep that in the back of your head. Keep a mental note. So in that which appears to be a seed for the serpent as well, he is a counterfeit of a message. Don't forget that. So the war here is the word of the child of the woman. And I see that it's versing the word of the child of the serpent. You see, I thank God that through scriptures, KJV uses the word seed. So whatever is working in the sons of men, whatever is working through that which comes out of the woman, which is by God, one day will have a war with that which is coming out of the serpent. You see, that's the war. And later on in the New Testament, for those of you who read, you will see that the woman has taken a place of the church. The church here of Jesus Christ is the bride and Christ is the groom. See in Ephesians 5.32, he says it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. That when you see that marriage between a man and a woman, that marriage is a picture, a typification of Christ and the church. So the womb is in the woman. It's where we grow people. It's where we give them wisdom. It's where we give them knowledge and understanding. It's where we give them the tools. It's where the fivefold is. The apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, they're all perfecting you for the work of ministry to the edification of the body until you reach that fullness, the stature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the work of the womb. That's what the church does. So it's the church which is the bride and Christ which is the groom. You see? But before he becomes the groom, firstly, he is the seed of the woman. He is the seed of the woman that is spoken about. At least that's easy for us to understand for those of us who have been reading the Bible for some time. But there's something about Adam and Eve when they have children, Cain and Abel, and we see that two boys are going to worship. And as they're going to worship, one boy worships better than the other. And instead of this one going back to make it right and worship the right way, there is a voice in him that tells him to slay his brother. He kills him. A certain spirit had taken over his fellow called Cain. And from then on, because of that, 
the blood of his brother cried out and has cried out till then from the ground seeking vengeance and I'll get that uh, message to you a bit later to the end to help us reconcile these things but after that we see you know Cain have children Adam and Eve have Seth and the rest we see sons and sons and daughters generations are formed we get to the point where the earth is with sin days of Noah the flood and then the most notable story after that is concerning a man called Abraham. Bible tells us he's separated from his father, his kin and kith and his family, and God tells him go to a land that I will show you. And God builds a relationship with a man and a woman, his wife, who were barren. They did not have children. And I have read like all of us in scripture how God comes to this man and as he's introducing his love and affection to him Abraham tells him that my challenge is that you have given me no seed Genesis 15 verses 3 for lo no one is born in my house for an heir and because i have nobody born in my house as an heir now i have Eliezer of Damascus which is my servant is going to take over all my estate seeing i go childless he says you've given me no seed But when you read Genesis the 15th chapter the second verse and the third two words are used there Abraham says I go childless number 1 seeing that you have given me no seed underline the word seed there again because we're going to come to that a bit later So we cannot tell whether Abraham knew what he was asking of God but for us who have lived enough to judge we can see that Abraham was talking about something deeper than just a child yes he wanted a child but there was a seed that was supposed to come out of him for god to fulfill the responsibility of the seed later who is following and so god gives him a seed which is isaac but before he had isaac the scriptures tell us he had ishmael through a woman called hagar the servant of sarah when sarah asks abraham to go into his mate because she thought she was not going to have a child. Eventually God later gives her a child so he has two. He has an Ishmael from human works and he has an Isaac which has come by the fulfillment of God's promise. But God never regarded Ishmael. That is why later on when Abraham is told by God to go and sacrifice, he's tried by God to go and sacrifice his own son. The scriptures tell us God tells him take the your only son your only son and give him for a sacrifice he obeys god goes on the mountain and then the boy is sacrificed in courts but he did not die but the action that action to god was an obedient gesture from abraham that he had obeyed god fully so literally isaac died but yet he lived okay and in genesis 22 the 15th verse The Bible says the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and he said by myself have I sworn said the Lord for because you've done this thing and have not withheld thy son thy only son he is the word only he is the word only don't forget because this was a seed right that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed 
Again, he has used the word seed, not children. As the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed, the Bible says, shall possess the get of his enemies. The get of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Let's go back. For those of you who read the Bible, does it ring a bell when you hear the word get of the enemy? Get of the enemy? Do you remember later on in the New Testament when God is speaking to Peter in Matthew 16? He says that upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So how do the gates of hell not prevail? They do not prevail because there is a seed that stands at that gate or those gates. You see? So God is speaking about a certain seed. So no doubt later we see God telling us that we are all children of Abraham. Paul gets the revelation and said that when God spoke of the seed of Abraham, he did not say seeds as of many, but he said seed, meaning one. And that one, he says, is Jesus Christ. So we know that when we're talking about the seed, they're talking about the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he says, and if ye are Christ's, he says, then are ye Abraham's seed? You see, so now we understand why in Isaac, the seed of Abraham is called. Because he was the continuation of God's mind at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when he says that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. So he says in Galatians chapter 3, that if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 3.29. When we're talking about Seed, he meant one seed, not seeds as of many. Galatians 3.16. So it's important for you to understand this, that the seed here was Jesus Christ. But now let's go to Isaac. I want to show you something. So Abraham has Isaac. Later Isaac, like we know scripture, gets a woman called Rebecca. And when he gets a woman called Rebecca, scriptures tell us that she had two children in her. And a war began in her womb. In Genesis 25 verses 22. The Bible says the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? She went to inquire of the Lord. She goes to the priest asking. There's a war that I'm feeling. I have two children. I'm pregnant of two people. But I feel that in there, it's not just two children moving. I feel that in there, it's two people who are fighting. There's a divide already in a woman's womb. God is revealing that there are two nations that are at war with each other. And they've already started a fight that is bigger than history can reveal. And I believe that tonight God is going to show us what this fight was. So these two children are born of Isaac and Rebecca. And that is Jacob and who? Esau. So scriptures tell us that... Uh, they grow up. One is a mighty hunter, hard worker, a man of the field. Another one is a tent dweller. We know the story of even though the two were at war, God had chosen somebody in that womb. God had chosen somebody in that womb. Even though there were two fighting, there was one who was God's choice. And he said that the older shall serve the younger. Jacob was God's choice. And we all know that story. And we know how Later on, Esau comes and is hungry. 
and uh, he sells his birthright to Jacob. And later on, we see the father Isaac want to bless the eldest son as it was culture. And then we see that instead of Esau, Jacob, by the help of Rebekah, takes that blessing. And the scriptures tell us in Genesis 27, verses 41, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father had blessed him. But doesn't Esau know that he had sold that birthright? You see, he had sold his birthright for a muzzle of meat. So technically that birthright did not belong to him. It was of his brother. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father at hand, then I will slay my brother Jacob. Is that not the same spirit that was at work in Cain? It kills a brother because he has found a place of worship deeper than it. And in here, in the time of uh, Jacob and Esau, we see that the spirit gets into Esau and he kills to slay his brother because he's blessed. Do you know that people can hate you because God loves you or because God has blessed you a certain way? They don't have an issue with you, honestly. If they were to sit down and ask them, but why do you hate this man? Or why do you hate this woman? Honestly. Besides what they can assume to have heard, and the reason why they heard it is because they already had a seed within them that was to hear certain things. Why do you hate this woman? Oh, perhaps they had something. And the reason why they had that gossip about that woman was because there was a seed within them that was ready to receive that kind of deception. And they violate all principle and law and can judge somebody, or hate somebody without cause. The Bible tells us that Jesus was hated without cause. Has it ever occurred to you that people can hate you because you're blessed of the Lord? Because you have something that they desire to have, but they cannot have it. And even they themselves cannot examine themselves to really understand that it's envy or jealousy that they're dealing with. It's jealousy that they're dealing with. You don't have really a problem. You honestly don't have a problem, but you're just blessed of the Lord. Somebody say, I am blessed. In what comes out of Esau and Jacob, a deeper war begins in human history that I'm going to show you through scripture stretches up to present day. Esau and Jacob? Esau and Jacob? Why is it big? Why is it so important for us to understand this? Because why? When later Esau and Jacob uh, separate, of course, we thank God later that these two make peace and reconcile. But even when they reconcile, that war never ended because it was not even about Esau or Jacob. It was about two spirits, two seeds at war with each other. One which is rewarded through its hard work versus another which is rewarded entirely through grace. That is the war. One which is a tent dweller but chosen by God to take an inheritance from one which is working so hard but yet rejected by God. Not that God does not value hard work but that he values the blessing above any man can ever do. That he values the principle of grace above any man's ability. So we are saved by grace through faith and not of works of ourselves least we should boast for it is the gift of God. That's what was disturbing. 
This is the war. It begins here. One guy is a hard worker and is a man of the field. He even knows how to give venison, to make the right venison of a father. And one man is a tent dweller. And it seems as though that the man of the tent does not deserve to receive what the man of the hard work has done. And some actually think that when we preach that, we mean to say that we don't believe in hard work. No, listen, we believe in hard work, but we believe that it's important for you to define in whom you are working. Are you working under the man of the law or the man who is after the justification of his life through his own works? Or are you working through the man of grace? For Paul tells us, that I labored more than all my brethren, yet not I, but the grace of God which worked through me. So it I mean that we don't have labors in the grace message. We do have labors. We actually work more than them. We have more results than them any day. Any day. A man under grace will always do more than a man under the law. In any realm or sphere of life. They'll always be harder workers than the man under the law. Because the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And that life energizes you to do more. But it's important for you to understand that there's a difference between you working through your own works and God working through you by his own power. That is the war. That is the war. Jacob was God's power working through a man. Esau was a man by his own ability and works through the favor of the father trying to find a certain fulfillment and identity in destiny. Somebody shout hallelujah. So much as these two boys reconcile, these two spirits, these two seeds, the one which is of God and the one which is counterfeit of the devil, those two do not cease to have war. And so yes, they have children. And in having children, we see that through Jacob, again the seed which is of God, God calls the 12 tribes of Israel. And through Esau, God regards not the tribes of Esau as tribes of Israel, even though they are Israel by blood. That's why Paul says in Romans, he says, not all in Israel are of Israel. You see? God is showing us that there's a divide here. Even though Esau was a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, he was not regarded and his lineage as tribes of Israel because we're not just talking about physical blood. There was another connection that was necessary through the spiritual. Somebody shout hallelujah. It was necessary through the spiritual. It's a very important thing for us to remember. It was not just enough to be a Jew by blood. No. It's important to understand what it means to be a Jew spiritually. Not all Israel are of Israel. Not all of those who are in Israel are really of Israel. Not all Israel are of Israel. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, we see that out of those 12 tribes, God calls Israel, but he has a spiritual dealing with them concerning a certain message and a certain seed. And then we see that that which sold its birthright for a muzzle of meat has children too, and its descendants are Edomites, right? From Edom, Esau. Edom meaning red. You see? It's where we get the Edomites from. Now, you're going to love this. Yazivols. 
I'm going to skip to the time of Moses. Children of Israel, the seed of Jacob, Isaac, tribes. We know the story of how they go into bondage in Egypt. Of course, they did not go as slaves, but things turned later and they were enslaved. And then God chose a man called Moses to deliver the children of Israel from what? From the hand of slavery under Pharaoh. And why did Egypt put them under bondage? Because they realized they were growing in number, scripture says, and they were becoming richer. And they had actually become richer and stronger and more in number than the Egyptians. The spirit of that seed was multiplying beyond the inhabitants of that land. That's what happens when Abraham goes to Canaan. The grace on his life becomes bigger than him. We see Abimelech telling a man, go from the midst of us for you're becoming mightier than us. Everywhere they go, every place they step, they outgrow the people they find there. Oh, is somebody getting this? So, we see that God inspires Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. And scriptures tell us that when Moses and the team, the whole Israel, come from Egypt through the wilderness, they wanted to go through the land of the Edomites, which are the children of Esau. These are people who have been for thousands of years in bondage. For thousands of years in bondage. And so Moses asks them, you're like our brothers. In fact, later, when you read scripture, you realize God had warned the children of Israel, never touch the Edomites. Never fight them because they're your brothers. Never do them harm. Even though they are of another spirit, don't fight them. So the children of Israel were made up before not to fight the Edomites. But the seed that worked within the Edomites was always made up to rebel itself against their own brethren. Okay? Now scripture tells us in Numbers 20 verses 17, as Moses and the team come to the Edomites, as they had just left Egypt, they are asking, can you allow us to go through your land? And he says in verse 17, let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway, we will not turn to the right hand or the left until we've passed by your borders. And verse 18 says, Adam said unto him, Moses, thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with a sword. We are just passing through. These people are weary and they're from many years of slavery. They're trying to become a people. They're not going to fight. They're not going to do anything. But the spirit at work in the Edomites, even when the fathers had reconciled Esau and Jacob, the seed at work in their children continues the war. And they're saying that you will not pass through our borders. We will kill you by the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We'll go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink thy water, then I'll pay for it. I will only, without digging anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, you shall not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people with a strong arm. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border, wherefore Israel turned away from him. See what the scripture is saying. Scripture is saying Edom refused Israel. It ain't say that the children of Edom then Refused the children of Israel then. No, the war was still between Edom and Israel. Esau and Jacob, that war continued. And that seed represents a very deeply spiritual implication. Edom refused Israel passage. These men were long gone. It's a long story. We're now in Moses' era. 
but it still calls one spirit Adam and another spirit what? Israel. That enmity, that war never ceased. And so we see it in the days of Moses. It goes beyond and then we start to see that the children of Israel, that is the seed which is of God, was always pursued by the seed of Esau. In fact, for those of you who read the Bible, you'll realize, and I'll come to that later, the Amalekites were children of Esau. And you realize the Amalekites, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, they used to attack the children of Israel from the rear guard, the people who were behind, the weak, the people who were tired. They used to go to them and find those that are weak and those that are far away because when they were moving, the cloud was moving with them. But there are people who were out of the cloud because they were slow, some were weak, some were tired, and some were elderly. When they stayed back, the scriptures tell us that the Amalekites used to come and slay them and kill them. What is that spirit that pursues them even when they are not fighting? They're just on their way. It was a war. It was between the Edomite and the Israelite. Somebody shout, hallelujah. This seed goes in the days of David. Now, in 1 Samuel, uh, the 21st chapter and the 22nd chapter, there's a great story there. And this is a revelation for us to understand. We know the story of how David goes to serve Saul and they build relationships out of that and somehow later one day something in Saul starts to turn against David and then we see David running and fleeing away from Saul. But the son of Saul, Jonathan, had built a relationship with David. So when you read that whole story all through, we see there's a guy that quite catches my attention. Saul had a leader ahead of his servants called Doeg. And Doeg was a descendant of Esau. And of course, we're in the time when now Saul starts to pursue the life of David. And then we see a time where David runs away. David flees to the house of the high priest to hide himself there. And then Saul is looking for David and Saul is hidden in the household of the high priest and the high priest feeds him and they build some time there. Now, when he had gone there to find refuge, running away from Saul, he found a certain guy there in 1 Samuel 21 verses 7. The Bible speaks of a man one of the servants of Saul was there that day when David goes to seek refuge with the high priest. And the Bible says his name was Doeg, who was a what? An Edomite. And the Bible says the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. So Doeg was there when David had gone to seek refuge. So he saw it. Later on, when Doeg goes back after his worship, so he was a man who also believed in the God of Israel, but he was an Edomite, but he believed in the God of Israel. In fact, he was found there worshiping. He had gone to present himself under a certain religious vow. So he returns back into the kingdom later on. And Saul is quarreling with his people because they have betrayed him. And the priests, he gets information, right? That people are hiding David. And so he's angry with everyone. Now the scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 22, the ninth verse, as 
Saul was speaking, complaining. Why are you hiding? This guy. The Bible says, Doeg the Edomite answered, which was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. Now Ahimelech was the high priest. What is that thing in him? Even though he has gone there to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is that thing in him that finds that it has to report that I actually saw him in the house of Ahimelech? And the Bible tells us, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals. Now he's saying what Ahimelech did for David. He prayed for him, even gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Palestine. He's telling everything he saw. He should have kept quiet, but the spirit of the Edomite in him cannot keep quiet because it seeketh the destruction of many. It seeketh the destruction of many. When the Edomites refuse the children of Israel to go through that land, they don't consider that they have children. They don't consider that they have wives and elderly people. They don't care. They don't care how many are destroyed. The same thing on this man. He doesn't care how many people he could put in danger when he tells the king where David has been hiding. And the Bible says, and the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Hitub, and the father's house, and the priests that were in Nob, and they came to the king, and the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech. I will kill you. Why? Because you turned against me, and you are shielding my enemy. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, in verse 17, turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to slay the priest and his people. They said, uh -uh, even though you are our king, we're not going to kill the priest. We know the power of the priest. And the scriptures tell us in verses 18, the king says or speaks to Doeg, turn thou and fall upon the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priest and slew on that day four score and five persons. That's 85 priests that did wear linen effort. And not the city of the priests smote he with the edge of the sword. He did not only kill the priests, he kills both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. He killed everything in know. It was enough for him to kill the priests. But the spirit at work in Doe, the Edomite, there's a certain hatred it has for the children, for the seed of Israel, that if it's sent to kill, it doesn't want to kill two, three or four people. It wants to kill everything that represents the blessed one. So Doeg the Edomite slew all of them, even children, even babies that were being nursed in the hands of women. He killed them. It wasn't Doeg. There was a spirit that was at work. Are you moving with me? After David, we see in the era of Solomon, when Solomon broke covenant with God, now this is the next generation. The scriptures tell us that there was another seed. When God put his hands off Solomon, there was a certain seed that had always sought vengeance with Solomon. Now, I'll tell us a little small story here. That at one point, if we'll read in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 14, when Solomon had broken his vows with God and God put his hands off Solomon. The Bible says the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. The guy was called Hadad the Edomite. He was one of the king's seed in Edom. He was one of the king's seed in Edom. Now I'll explain this. 
when the Bible says the Lord stirred up an adversary for Solomon, which is Hadad, it doesn't mean that God caused Hadad to fight Solomon. No. It's not causative that God forced or he told Hadad to fight Solomon. But the Hebrew has no permissive clause and so it uses a causative clause in speaking. But this is how it would be rendered. God allowed, he allowed, or he put his hands off. That means the spirit in this Edomite was always rejecting or was against Israel, right? Every seed in the Edomite was always against Israel. But when Solomon broke his vows with God and then through strange women brought in other gods into the temple, God let that spirit to do what it was supposed to do because it was already made up. That means it was always against David, his seed, and all the descendants of Israel, but it was just restrained by God. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so the Bible says, verses 15, it came to pass. Now they're telling us the story of how Hadad comes into the picture. It came to pass when David was in Edom and Joab, the captain of the host, was gone up to bury the slain after he had smitten every male in Edom. Because now we see when the Edomites were fighting the children of the seed of Israel, later also the seed of Israel turned and started to fight the Edomites. And at one point, David and his men and Joab, the commander, defeated and buried many. But in slaying them, the Bible says, for six months, Joab remained there with Israel until he had cut off every male in Edom. And the Bible says there was a young man called Hadad, who was Edomite. He fled, and he and certain Edomites of his father's household with him went to Egypt. And being a little child, they arose out of Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them of Paran and came to Egypt. So we see that they've taken us back to understand the story of how Hadad comes into the picture. Huh? And they're showing us that one time when David and his men, Joab and the team, killed people and for six months Joab stayed to make sure no man had survived because now the war had begun. David had understood that there's something that is against the destruction of Israel. And so David as well started to fight uh, to kill them because he knew as long as they are alive, the Lord has come back. In fact, that was the era later on when we see that God commands the destruction of many of these, but because some kings disobey the rule. Some survive and they live to fight another day and later attack Israel. So they were always the consistent enemy of Israel. In fact, scripturally, the Bible tells us that the Edomites are life enemies with Israel. That means those two will never reconcile because these are messages. Like the flesh is an enemy to the spirit and the spirit is an enemy to the flesh. That's how it is. So let's continue. I hope you're enjoying this. So, Hedad as a little child flees to Egypt. And then the Bible says, he found favor with Pharaoh in verses 18. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave him a house, appointed him victuals, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave to him a wife, which is the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tapenis, the queen. And the sister of Tapenis bare him Genubath, his son, whom Tapenis wind in Pharaoh's house. So somehow, Hadad found favor and you know, he's married to royalty and then he's having children within the household. Now listen to this. And verses 21, And when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, okay, and Joab, the captain of the host, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may go to my own country. Release me so I go back. And the Bible says, And Pharaoh said unto him, but what hast thou lacked with me, that behold thou seekest to go in thy own country? And he answered, nothing. How be it? Let me go in any wise. 
Why is Hadad seeking to go back when he hears that David and Joab are dead? He has something in him to avenge. He has something in him to avenge. He never died. And it's bigger than any position he can be given in Pharaoh's kingdom. There's a seed in there that also seeks vengeance. Yet, it began the war. So was he going back to make peace? No. Later we see that one of the biggest stones of Israel in the splitting of the kingdom of Israel, yet under Solomon, because of his mistakes, one of the biggest, biggest catalysts of that breakup was headed and his team. They consistently fought with the household of Solomon until Israel was split. In the days of Esther, that same seed comes through. We see the king, Ahasuerus, some versions, success, other versions. He has a lady, a queen called Esther, which had replaced Vashti. In the book of Esther, chapter 3, verses 1, the Bible says, After these things did the king Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamedatha the Agagite. The son of Hamedatha the Agagite and set him his seat above all the princes that were with him and all the king's servants that were in the king's gates bowed and revered who? Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, the Bible says, refused to bow, nor did reverence to him. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gates, said unto Mordecai, why are you transgressing against the command? So when the king advances Haman in ranks, everybody starts to bow to Haman to worship him and honor him. But there's something in Mordecai that refuses to listen or to heed or to honor this man. Let's continue in verses uh, 4. Now it came to pass that when they spoke daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. So later on, he told them, I'm a Jew. I cannot bow over this guy. That means Mordecai has a certain revelation on who he should not bow over to right? Or bow to. Now listen, the Bible tells us, and when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did he do him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he sought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. That means he thought it a very small thing if he can only afflict Mordecai alone. The Bible tells us, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman, the Bible says, sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. That means when Mordecai refuses to bow to him, the spirit in him is awakened to know that this thing, this thing in him that is refusing to bow in me is a spirit that we have had war with for thousands of years. And then it stands up in him and it cannot take it only on Mordecai to destroy him. It wants to destroy every Jew in the kingdom. He wants to destroy every Jew in the kingdom. The son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. 1 Samuel 15 explains who Haman is. The Bible says he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and utterly destroyed the people of the age of the sword. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. And we know very well that the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. For in Genesis 36 verses 12, the Bible says Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. And she bore Eliphaz, Amalek, and these were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. So Esau is the father of Eliphaz, 
and through a concubine Timna, they give birth to a guy called Amalek. So the Amalekites are direct descendants of Esau. And they also build kingdoms and appoint kings of their own lineage. And in a generation X, there is a king called Agag. Agag is a direct descendant of Esau. Are you following? And this direct descendant of Esau, many generations down, is the great, 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 great of Hamadatha, the father of Haman, the Haman, which turns himself to kill all the Jews. Is that a coincidence? Like it was in the beginning, they don't seek to destroy one. They seek to destroy everybody connected to that light. And this is serious, ladies and gentlemen. This is serious. In the days of Jesus Christ, the Bible speaks of a king who hears through the wise men that there's a boy who is born and is a king of the Jews. And so the thing in him tells him that if this is the king of the Jews, something in him is awakened to know that this guy must be bigger than me. He tricks the wise men to lead him to the child, but somehow they did not go back and God warns Joseph and Mary to flee. And the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 2, the 16th verse, when Herod saw that he was mocked of the wise men, he was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children. He slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the costs thereof from two years and younger, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard of lamentation and weeping. The Bible says, And great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And the Bible says she would not be comforted because they are not. But if you read ancient texts, you realize that Herod was a son of one Antipater, and Antipater, a descendant of the Edomites. So Herod was not just functioning out of an emotional state. There was a spirit at work within him. And that is the spirit that led to the death of those many children. Because they don't seek to destroy one. They seek to destroy everything that that seed represents. So, the prophet Obadiah, in his prophecy to Edom, in the first chapter, the first verse, he has a vision and he says, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, for we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her battle. Behold, I've met this small, listen, among the heathen, and thou art greatly despised. Listen to who Edom is. He says, The pride of thy heart has deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in your heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Does that sound like Lucifer? Does that sound like Lucifer? For he exalted himself in the pride of his heart, and he said, who shall bring me down to the ground? Verses 4, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence I will bring thee down, saith the Lord. I'll bring you down, saith the Lord. He's talking about the Edomites. 
That war has never ceased. That war, ladies and gentlemen, has never ceased. It continues up to today. That's the great divide. So in Hebrews, when he tells us that we are come to Zion, he's defining our habitation. He says, ye are come unto Mount Zion, Hebrews 12, verses 22, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel is seeking vengeance. But we have a blood that is speaking differently. So that war will never cease. We only speak differently. We have a certain understanding. That's why he tells us, see that you reject him not that speaketh. Don't reject this message. That's what he's trying to say. Every man which is under the law has the seed of Esau in him. And has the ability to destroy everything grace represents. Have you seen how much hatred people who teach the law have against preachers of grace? And it even shock you. Have you ever had a preacher of grace seeking to fight a man of the law? Do you hear us talk about them? Do we mention their names? Do we mention their ministries? Do we accuse them of anything? Don't we know what they do? We know. We know. Many of them, they can't even match to our moral standard. They can't. It's the truth. But some of them think that they are hating a sister because they are teaching the gospel of grace. No, they're not just hating this person. They're dealing with a spirit that is so old. So old. They sent people to kill us. I've seen it. I could not believe one guy came and said, I wanted to shoot you. So I came to a meeting to hear you first. He told it to me in my ears. He said, I wanted to shoot you. But I said, let me go and first hear you before I shoot you. And the Lord transformed the man. Now he's preaching the same message. Somebody shout hallelujah. Why do you think men like Paul were beaten? Think Paul was just beaten by Jews? No, there was a seed at work in them, seeking not only to destroy but to kill. That is the seed that killed Jesus. It could not leave him. It was men of the law that killed him. It was the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ones that say crucify him. It's them. It's not the people who walked on the streets healed. It's not the crippled. No, the people who are on the streets knew what that man was doing. But there was a spirit that was so blind, not because he did not know what was being done, but that it was functioning to fulfill a bigger vengeance. A blessing was stolen. A blessing was stolen. That's why I tell people, we can teach peace between brethren, but there will never be a full unity in the church of Jesus Christ. Unless there's a unity of the faith. Not of faith. But of the faith. 
Bible speaks of till we come in the unity of the faith. That's what the Bible speaks. It speaks of the unity of the faith, Ephesians 4.13. It speaks of the unity of the faith, comma, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, comma, and to a perfect man, comma, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how do we get to that fullness? By a certain measure. How do we get to a certain measure? By a certain perfection. How do we get to a certain perfection? By a certain knowledge of the Son. And how do we get through that knowledge of the Son? Through a certain unity of the faith. The faith, the gospel, the doctrines must reconcile. You can have peace with them, but you can never be one with a person whose doctrine cannot agree with you. But we are called to pursue peace with all men wherewith no man can see God. So, yeah, 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 I know that some people say, oh, let's be united. You can't unify people who are divergent in doctrine. What you can do is to bring peace between them, but you can't unify them. It doesn't mean that all people who are at peace with each other are actually one. No. The Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, he even puts his enemies at peace with him. It doesn't mean that they stop being his enemies. They just have peace with him, but they're his enemies. You see what I'm saying? But again, here's the good news. The message of grace never fails. It never fails. Everywhere it goes, it will grow. Everywhere it goes, it will multiply. Everywhere it goes, the blessing of God will be evident on it. When we started preaching this message many years ago, in this nation specifically, Many people did not understand it. And they gave us all sorts of names. I read things until I was tired of reading them. They have 29 things, 30 things of extreme grace preachers. And they read one at a go, one at a go. And these things, you don't even have a clue about them. Because they don't even connect to you in any way. Sometime I remember sitting in a group of men and I said, but the things you've just read, they were downloaded from the internet. And you're presenting them to me, accusing me. And I'm telling you that these things that you have interpreted about this message are not true and neither do we teach them. And a man says, but you see, so why do they say you teach them? I said, it's their problem to say. I thought you came to hear me tell you. Because how can somebody think that when we preach grace, we tell people to sin and somebody can hear you say, that it's not true and still go out and say that you said it is true. It's not them. No, this thing is older than them. It's just on them. I want to help some of you because some of you are fighting in the flesh. You see, because I sat these people down and I said, it was many years ago, they called me a campus, university, and two of them were clergymen of a certain religious organization. One was a certain leader of a certain Christian organization. Some came from two, three or four churches. And they sat us down. They said, you're teaching this. And I said, we're not teaching that. We're not teaching that. We're not telling people to sin so grace should abound. It's not true. So I asked them, did you call us to know the truth? Or you called us because you wanted us to be wrong? Because there's a difference. Someone can be seeking to know the truth, but another person can seek to make you wrong because they actually pray you are wrong. Why? Because the results on your life are not fair for them, especially if you are right. 
Somebody shout glory. glory. That's what's disturbing them. So, I told them this is not true. And they'd gone through all our campus ministries. And they told all these leaders in campuses not to associate with us and have nothing to do with us and close the fellowships. In fact, some universities joined that madness and closed their fellowships in the universities and persecuted our own children. Three times I was in the middle of preaching and they called police on me. I'm getting kids off drugs. I'm getting kids out of perversion. I'm getting their children out of club. And they were calling the police on us. One time a guy came and showed me a card from the state organ, one of the organs. He was misusing his office. He wasn't sent by the state, but he was misusing his office to fight a spiritual and a religious war. And he threatened me with all threatenings. And we're going to release articles about you in the newspapers. And all the titles he told me they were going to release, they released them. The first article that came out after he had warned me, he said, we're going to accuse you for this. And I saw the next morning, sex cult in Kampala. We are a sex cult, they said. And I'm driving back home and a fellow man of God calls me and says, tune on the radio. And I'm listening to the radio. I'm hearing a Christian pastor reading a tabloid and he's reading from that tabloid what has been written by a newspaper and he's justifying it and attacking us directly. A man who could call me and ask to know the truth. I didn't get annoyed with him. I also knew what he was dealing with. It's thousands of years old. What's on him is so old. It's so old. It's even older than his age or since before he even got to know the gospel. You see? So they wrote, they wrote, they wrote, they wrote. But this is amazing. As they continue writing, we were growing. The more they afflicted us, the more we multiplied. The more they spoke evil about the message, the more the message grew. And I remember that day, if I can take you back to that meeting, these people in that university openly said, we have banished you out of this university. And I remember telling them, if you had called me, you'd banish me. But you did not call me to this service. Only God can banish me out of these universities. And I told them, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew and to the Gentiles. And I told them, I will still be standing, preaching on these universities, when you're long gone, as true as the Lord is, two or three months after that meeting, the two clergymen were posted out of the university. The lady who was leading a, a Christian organization then that was against us was fired. One of the guys who was again on that board, that group who was against us, was formed with a certain scandal in the university. And in two, three months, all of them were out of that university. 2021, we have a fellowship in every university in this nation.
2021, no building can hold us in Uganda. 2021, we are preaching the gospel out of Africa. We are on TBN, Africa and Europe. We are on God TV, we're everywhere. Somebody shout hallelujah. We stream every Thursday. We stream every Sunday. The lame are walking. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. The dumb are speaking. People are getting born again every Thursday, every Sunday. Every end of service, I make an altar call. Somebody gives their lives to Jesus Christ. And you, you people who are listening to me, you're representing so well. We're wedding couples every weekend. I've not seen a divorce under my cloud. Let God be true and every man a liar. So we don't care what they bring. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because the greater one is in us. Greater is he which is in you than he that is in the world. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. That's the great divine. That is why only us understand love. It's only this message that can teach love. It's only through this message that we shall see the true reconciliation and peace among nations. It's only through this. Because this is the message that will teach you to love a man unconditionally. I've never mentioned a man or his ministry in this pulpit. As long as you know me. I'm walking in love. But there are men whose pages, if I open just two of their life books, their ministries can close. Because I have the language and the wisdom. I'm a smart guy. Are you hearing me? But I'd rather use that wisdom glorify God and bring another man to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ you are not going to stop them from talking you're not going to stop Esau from being Esau you cannot tell Adam to change all you can do is simply stay true to the calling with which you have in Christ Jesus and keep running that race and that course like one who knows what you are called don't turn to hear cheap words and turn to fight wars that are consuming your time and energy instead of preaching the gospel keep on the course of Jesus Christ recently I was sharing with my pastors and I told them no man greater than me has ever criticized me and that I know for a fact and no man that has ever criticized me is greater than me in any aspect of life In fact, for me, it scares me that some people don't fear us with the things we've seen with God. It scares me that they don't fear. You understand what I'm saying? Because we represent a very old lineage that is so strong and can never fail. It can never fail. God will preserve you because of those who hate you. God will disprove everybody. But you have to wait on God to do it. Don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Keep doing what you're doing. And I'm empowering and encouraging those ministers across the world who are preaching the message of grace. But this war is old. It's centuries and centuries old. The difference with the New Testament where we are, they cannot get. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Where we are, they cannot get. We're on a mountain. They're in the valley. Somebody shout hallelujah. Yeah. We have 
a crowd of witness that is encompassing our ministries. We have angels that are watching over us every night and day to make sure that we dash not our foot against the stone. We are kept by God because we know he didn't give this to us through our own righteousness. No, he gave it to us through grace. And only that can be preserved through faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is why more than ever before, we preach it deeper. I tell people, the more they criticize you, the deeper you preach it. Yeah, man went in Paul's meeting and said, oh, they say that we should see it. A man entered. It's old. It's older than you. You're not going to change it. But this is a guarantee that history has proved that Esau or the seed of Esau never prospers against the seed of Jacob. It never prospers against it. It never defeats it. They can only attack our heel. Yeah? And you know what the heel is? Huh? What is the heel? Yeah, the message. Because blessed are the feet. Huh? The Bible says blessed are the feet of those that go bearing good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they can only attack the message. They can only attack our ministries. They can only try to attack and disqualify the ministries. That's as far as they can go. But that's the heel. Because for us, when we are beating, we beat the head. Are you hearing me? We beat everything they represent. We break down their empires and institutions. We confuse and confound their systems. Somebody shout hallelujah. Our damage is bigger. What beats the head is different from what can bruise the heel. Uh-uh. The heel can heal. But when the head is crushed, it's crushed. Somebody shout hallelujah. This is why Jesus came. The law was brought by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. That is why Paul stands out. He writes the biggest part of the New Testament. Why? He got this message. Somebody shout hallelujah. You'll stand out as well. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your message. We receive it all as you've spoken. I pray for the men and women out there who have not even yet understood the message. I pray that you will understand the message. And I pray for those of you who are in a war, a fight some sort. Some of you are falsely accused by your families that you're following cults. Some of you are, your marriages are in trouble because they believe that the doctrines you have embraced are wrong. Some of you are ostracized. Some of you are rejected. Some of you are attacked. Some of you are not understood and you're squandered. But this is what I have for sure. That after the devil has done all he's able to do, my God, will raise a standard and it will always be bigger. We're growing bigger and greater every other day. Every other day. Because our ministry is not a ministry of war. It's a ministry of reconciliation. To it was God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing sin, but imputing righteousness. And he has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is why we even go to those and bless them. We feed their hungry. We clothe them. We give them shelter and food. If they have no place to live, we give them a home. Because it's the only way they will understand that God is love. And Father, we thank you. 
because you've had our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, this is the moment. This is the hour. This is the time. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Repeat this as after me. In the simplicity of faith and say, Father, I thank you for Jesus. Today, my heart is open to receive him as my Lord and Savior. And because of that, I have believed his death and resurrection for my sins. I'm a new creation. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. Thank you.